0: Welcome to Transform It Forward, the podcast that gives you an inside look into the before and after some of the world's most effective transformation processes. I'm your host, Paul French. As we wrap up season two of Transform It Forward, it's time to look back at some of the most interesting, insightful, and thought provoking interviews of the season. I thoroughly enjoyed each and every conversation I had on the show so far. From content marketing to the events industry, we covered a wide range of topics on the podcast so far all through the lens of the cutting-edge transformations we're seeing across the board. It's fascinating to reflect on just how much has changed in the world, even since we first launched the podcast back in 2020. It seems like a lifetime ago. As we close the door on 2021 and we look ahead, I'm counting down some of the most memorable clips from the Season 2 of Transform It Forward. Here we go. Back in July, I sat down with Vice President of Growth and Partnerships at Reonomy, Aviva Fink. She and her team are using in-depth access to property details and analysis to revolutionize the commercial real estate industry. With the world changing a mile a minute, she had an interesting perspective on where real estate was headed post-pandemic. One of the main ideas she expressed during our conversation was the notion of real estate industry professionals becoming increasingly reliant on data collection. So I asked her about the specific metrics and indicators they should be looking at going forward.
1: I think that's that's such a phenomenal question because I think that's what everyone's grappling with right now is what alternative data sets do I need to leverage to make smart decisions? And I think people were really coming around to you know using mobility data. Okay, that's going to be helpful. Let's use demographic data, maybe some transaction data. Now I can build out this profile of different... Neighborhoods, zip codes, buildings, census tracts, etc. Like however granular they wanted to get, and make really smart investment decisions, and also recruit or or really try to a- attract the right tenants. It was also great for site location on the on the occupier side. Now it's a little bit more complicated because you're like, well, have behaviors just inherently changed? So you're you're trying to marry the data that you have with this unknown where people have been on lockdown. So there really is no data. And I think that that creates a really interesting challenge and people are trying to figure out interest ways to work around it. But I do think it's becoming kind of table stakes that if you're trying to be thoughtful and data-driven about your investment decisions, you're going to be leveraging multiple dimensions of data to understand consumer behaviors, brand performance, and site location behaviors and that includes the mobility data, the transaction data, the demographic data. And I think in terms of each asset class, it's a little bit different in terms of what you're looking for that signals go, no-go decision. But thinking about some of the investment decisions that are being made, even in terms of which markets to be in, do you want to stay in you know major gateway cities? Do you want to move to the really exciting, rapidly growing secondary markets where do you want to be? I think some of the things that they're looking at beyond some of those metrics I already mentioned are things like number of graduates with degrees in STEM, number of patents filed, just other things that say give signal to the fact that like these are markets where there will be a lot of growth because the labor force is there to support the types of jobs that are becoming increasingly popular and also pay at a specific rate where they're going to be able to pull in talent from outside those markets so that way there'll be continued growth. So I think that those are other data sets that that folks are looking at and definitely should be looking at.
0: It was a repeating theme that industry professionals that are quick to adapt to new technologies and methods like using advanced data collection to make informed decisions will come out on top at the end of the day. In our next clip, we'll hear from Axway's Chief Technology and Innovation Officer, Vince Padua. Vince echoed some of the statements Aviva made, noting that all successful transformations begin with a strong desire and motivation to change.
2: That seems a little bit flippant, but at every enterprise I've ever been at, every company where there's a major transformation initiative, whether that's a Technology overhaul, rearchitecture, or it's a desire to to change the business model and the way that we seek to monetize the software, or how we want to engage with, with customers and partners. It starts with really the desire to transform, and that could be there's a existential crisis that your business is under threat and needed to do something to remain competitive, or uh, you see a significant market opportunity that could be near term or even long term that you need to sort of break free of what you've been doing that the model that you've been operating under is no longer sufficient and that you need to do something different if you want to take advantage of said opportunity. So it seems silly, but it it has to start with a desire. And by a desire, I mean, it's certainly from the top down, right? From the leadership level, from the way that they're going to sort of metric and, and drive the company and a clear vision, right? So you've got to want it, you've got to have a clear way of getting there and how you want to measure it. And then that has to work its way down into the organization.
0: Indeed, a strong desire to uplevel your business and a clear vision on how to get there are two ingredients of a successful transformation. In 2020, we all witnessed the major shifts happening across all industries, and its primary driver, our need to move to digital. Next, we'll hear from Michael Brenner, the CEO of Marketing Insider Group a globally recognized keynote speaker on leadership, culture, and marketing, and the author of several best-selling books. As a CMO, I was really interested in his take on the changing nature of content marketing, and his approach to acceleration of digital transformation in 2020 was in line with some of the best thinking and leadership on the topic.
3: There's a couple stats. You know, we we saw search traffic double in 2020. Why, Why did that happen? Because we're sitting at our computers, you know, we're not sitting in traffic or doing other things, you know, taking our kids to soccer practice. In the B2B world, the stat that I love the most is from McKinsey that said that the, the importance of digital interactions is six to seven times greater in both some digital transformation studies that they've done, as well as in actual primary research that they conducted, that they're seeing significantly more, is significantly more um, weight being put on the kinds of things that we're doing digitally versus, a, you know, talking to a salesperson, which is a classic B2B, you know, hey, let's uh, let's take them to go see Tiger Woods Swing or Golf Club or let's go to a concert or a sporting event or, you know, steak dinner. You know, classic salesperson approaches were now, hey, what website content do you have and can you do a webinar and let's get on a Zoom or whatever. So, you know, those interactions that salespeople do a very classic B2B function almost exclusively went online. It forced brands to think about the best brands to really think about how to engage folks digitally, and and in a lot of ways that became like a visual sort of medium, video, uh, you know, any kind of experiential, you know, interactive kind of a, of an experience, even to the point that like you brought a Best Buy, like you know, just demonstrating a technology in a video with a real person, you know, not an actor, you know, not in a, in a studio setting, like, you know, in a living room with a, with a flashlight, you know, or something, you know, a selfie camera. I think it it forced brands to really think about how do they take the kinds of interactions that they had one-on-one in person and visually recreate those. And then what happened and what I think is really interesting is there's a lot of great success stories of brands that did this, where they found that they were able to reach, they were able to engage a significantly more, you know, higher number of people because they took something that was a one-on-one interaction and they made it available to many people because they thought through what does that look like and how do how do we make that feel like it's a personal interaction. So I, I think that those two sides of that same coin are really interesting. One, the strategy around creating visual engaging experiences digitally. And then two, the just the whole reason for digital <laughs> interactions being important is that you can reach more people, you know, became really evident and it allowed those successful companies to really double down on their success.
0: As Michael noted, it turns out the pandemic was an opportunity to make lemonade out of lemons, an attitude which ultimately served some brands quite well. Some of the best stories came from the entrepreneurs like Daphne of the Vendry. Daphne was in the midst of building a platform when the unexpected happened. Although most people would have given up at that first sign of the pandemic decimating the events industry, Daphne and her team leveraged the small amount of luck that was on their side to quickly pivot the business model, all without missing a beat.
4: You know, anybody in the events industry will never forget March, April of 2020, and it was just it was devastating and it was it was personally devastating like every day i had phone calls with people losing their jobs trying to advocate to keep on to their jobs whether they were an in-house event planner trying to tell their boss you know hey i can move our in-person programming to virtual i got this you know keep a spot for me on the team or all of these small business venues and vendors that were watching everything get canceled wondering how they were going to like you know, keep their livelihoods um, around. And so it was really, you know, it was a really challenging time for the industry. And as we went to the whiteboard, what was abundantly clear was two things. People were losing their jobs and those that still had their jobs were trying to figure out how to pivot to virtual. And we felt that we had the opportunity to give the people in this industry sort of an online community and, and true tech platform behind that community where they could be a resource to one another or personally build out their profile to sort of stay relevant. And so we really studied online professional networks. I looked at LinkedIn. We looked at, you know, Girlboss at the time had a platform. We looked at what made these successful and we built a product that launched in September Uh, that included discussion boards, a news feed, a jobs board, you know, profiles where people could showcase their industry expertise. And that took off. And so we have over 18,000 members that joined that from all corners of the industry. And for us at the Vendry, we weren't making money, but we gained relevancy. We were lucky in that we had about six weeks before the pandemic closed a pre-seed round. And so we were, we were lucky in many ways. And I really want to acknowledge that because I would say we actually, yeah, many of our startup peers, most of them were in worse positions than us because we were pre-revenue. We had a team of four people. It was me, a CMO, CTO, and head of community, very strong, small, nimble team. And we had just closed a small fundraise that gave us without any revenue, 18 months of run rate. And so we basically had the, I mean, honestly, I think the company would have died if the pandemic had happened two months earlier, because I mean, I I don't think I could have fundraised. The business was just way too early for an investor to want to put money into a live event startup at that moment in time. And so I think we got very lucky there, but we had the luxury of going to the whiteboard and saying, all right, we have money and good people on the team. Like, What do we do? And building a, a marketplace focused around venues at that moment in time didn't seem to make sense. And so we ended up building this big community for the industry.
0: How Daphne and her team quickly change gears to adapt to the situation at hand serves as a testament to the power of remaining flexible and open to change, despite how dire the circumstances might seem. On the subject of transformation overall, it's clear that successful change constantly comes down to one common denominator, the people. If the people that make up an organization aren't on board with the changes, transformation becomes impossible. Jacqueline, the Global Chief Digital Officer at HGC Global Communications, illustrated this point clearly in our episode on Transforming Telecom.
5: I truly admit in everything that I've done, it has truly been harder to change the rest of the organization where the culture is quite set in its ways and people are quite set in their ways. It has been really hard. I think our key has been whoever works with us gets that culture. So they get it from us. And it's the tone we set when you say, okay, we're going to do this. And this is the, you know, a way we work. This is the modus operandi for us and come and come and experience it. But I think as long as, you know, when you're getting together to create outputs of a transformation, you've got that change in culture, even if it's a, temporary change to create that output, I think that's actually a very positive outcome. On a tangible outcome side, I would say the company has actually grown. So if you look at our sector, if you look at it globally, most service providers have probably reported negative growth or a very low growth throughout the pandemic. I, I really love what you, say, what you said before, which is, you know, taking take advantage of good crisis, which, which we did. So we, we grew double digits. We absolutely grew double digits. Now, I dare say it's not entirely due to digital transformation or our transformation, but it is definitely a huge contribution to the business to get to the business to pivot quite quickly. So, you know, on, that's on the tangible side. I think on the not so tangible, which is harder to measure more than anything, is that what I've noticed is that our environment here has become a whole lot more collaborative. And, you know, there's always going to be some sort of conflict or, you know, some vehement debate you have in in organizations. That's very normal, you know, by definition. But I think what I'm seeing is that the teams are able to come to agreements much quicker. They will have the conflict, but it's more constructive. And then they'll go, you know what, let's just focus on the outcome and let's just move ahead. It's not so much compromise. I don't see compromise, which is not very desirable for for me when you're trying to do a transformation because compromise always invariably ends up in some sort of resistance to change uh down the track i always like to see more you know commitment and voluntary participation in the transformation and i think that's what i see in a lot of ways and there's definitely a lot more openness to new ideas and i think that's really been driven by the fact that we've had to pivot quite quickly
0: I hope you enjoyed the season two wrap-up episode and that you'll join us for more thought-provoking conversations in season three of the show. Thanks to everyone who's listened, engaged with and supported the show since we began over a year ago now. And a big thanks to all of our wonderful guests who've taken the time to share their thoughts and advice with our audience. Thanks for listening to Transform It Forward, the podcast that gives you an inside look into some of the world's most effective transformations. If you like this episode, please be sure to give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. To our valued listeners, we'll be taking a short break, but we'll be back with new episodes early in 2022. Transform It Forward is brought to you by Axway who believes that in order to create the most value for customers, partners, and employees, you need to open everything by securely integrating and moving data across a complex world of old and new technologies.